0: It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of December 21st, 2008. I'm Bill Blynn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This week we don't leave out the germs, so keep your distance. And here's a programming note. There is one more week in the calendar year 2008, but as you may recall, I get lazy this time of year. I'll tell you that I'm working on the annual site redesign, but really, I typically just sleep in, play with the cats, and watch old movies. Still, if you visit the site to read the first program of 2009, you'll probably notice that the walls are a different color. The furniture has been moved around a bit, and there are some new cat toys scattered on the floor. So, see you next year, and look for some changes. I thought this would be a good time to do a program on Ubuntu Linux, since there's a new version. The new version is 8.10. When it comes to Linux, I'm a lot less ambivalent than I was about Vista, In the two years that Vista was on my computer, I could never really quite decide whether I liked it or disliked it. Ubuntu is a lot easier. I know I like it a lot. The question is whether I'll still respect it in the morning. Linux has advantages. The cost, free, is certainly one of them. Enough applications exist these days for a lot of users. Hardware support is still a bit iffy in some areas. And if you depend on applications from some of the big software developers, like, oh, say, Microsoft or Adobe, Linux still is not for you. If you install Linux and you want to use the Win modem that is included with computers that still have modems, you're probably out of luck. Win modems depend on the operating system for some of their functions, and Linux doesn't provide those functions. Although you can make them work, it's not easy or simple. That's really not a big deal, though, because modems are going the way of the dodo, the floppy disk, and the one-horse open sleigh. The computer you buy, if it isn't a notebook, probably doesn't even have a modem. But you do have a video subsystem... And that can be another problem area. When I installed Ubuntu Linux on my desktop system, I was slightly surprised to find that Linux now supports the widescreen monitor I use, 1440 by 900 pixels, and NVIDIA has made available the appropriate driver for use by Linux users. The problem, though, is that the driver doesn't work very well. Firefox under Linux, for example... Under most circumstances, you look at the title bar. On the right, you see the restore down, restore up, and close icons. They look just like they should. Except for the Linux icon in the upper left corner, you might think you're looking at a Windows machine. But then I hovered the cursor over one of the sizing icons. And what I got wasn't exactly what I expected. They became transparent, and they moved out of position. And then I moved the cursor over the close icon, and the entire bar just faded away like a frightened ghost. It's annoyances such as that that make me think Linux isn't really quite ready for general use yet. However, on newer hardware, my notebook computer for example, that problem doesn't exist. And speaking of the notebook computer, if you have ever wrestled with setting up a wireless connection to a secure network, on a Windows machine, (laughs) try Linux. I had unplugged the network cable, but the Wi-Fi adapter was turned on. Linux told me it couldn't find a network connection. No big surprise there, I wasn't connected to anything, so I didn't expect it to find anything. Clicking the icon opened a list that shows all of the Wi-Fi connections that the Linux machine can see. And in my neighborhood, it can see a lot. It can see almost 10 possible network connections. And every single one of them, thank you, is a secure connection. So I selected one. I selected the one for my home network. And Linux told me that I would need to provide the appropriate passphrase well i knew what that was so i provided it and that's it linux connected it established the connection told me i'm now connected to my own internal wireless network and yes it really is just that easy so how about a usb thumb drive well, you'd expect that to be easy, and it is. Just plug it in, wait a few moments, and Ubuntu mounts the drive, places an icon on the desktop, just like an Apple computer would. You know, I'm becoming so used to seeing the drive magically appear on the desktop as a mounted device, because I deal with Linux and OS 10 that I sometimes just sit in front of a Windows computer waiting for the drive to show up on the desktop it never does. So is 2009 the year of Linux? In the 1980s, I kept asking if the year of the CD was upon us, and I kept predicting that the next year would be the year that CD sales would really take off. I had to repeat that prediction for quite a few years, but eventually it did happen. In the 1990s, I did the same thing, except it was with digital cameras. Is this the year? I said, is this the year? As we rolled into 2000 and 2001, the digital camera sales finally started to take off, and now it seems that everybody has at least one digital camera. Now, with the economy in sad shape, some people who need computers for basic office tasks might examine the lower cost of hardware needed for Linux and the cost of buying the operating system and the applications, zero. And they may then conclude that this is the year of Linux. Speaking of years and dates, I seem to forget things. Birthdays, anniversaries, the cat's name. This does not endear me with wives and daughters or cats, and we should probably go back and make that wife and daughter not wives so i drop reminders into calendars i may forget but calendars don't they remind me and it looks to everyone as if i have actually remembered but i missed an event probably not a very important event as events go but it was a milestone for me so I thought I'd mention it now. TechBiter Worldwide has been a podcast for 126 episodes as of the week before Thanksgiving 2008. I suppose I should have made a big deal out of that in episode 100. Nice round number. That occurred on May 17th. At that time, I was too busy talking about the new version of Carbonite, the dangers posed by Skype, a Yoda-speaking spammer, and the CBS acquisition of CNET. So, I'm a few months late, but I'll talk about it now. If you'd asked me about podcasting three years ago, I probably would have been polite, but I wouldn't have been interested. Most people who have been involved in broadcasting have, or had, a negative attitude of podcasting. If you're so good, we thought, or perhaps some of us still think, why don't you get a job in broadcasting? Well, things have changed. Conditions have changed. Times have changed. There's no way I can pretend the next part of this story has anything to do with technology, but it does have something to do with how TechPider Worldwide came to be, and maybe why you listen to it as a podcast or read it on the web. Broadcasters are faced with a lot of competition. Satellite radio, MP3 players, podcasts, audiobooks, online newspapers, and lots more. This would not be a good time to be working for clear channel or any other broadcaster most of what you hear today on the radio isn't local except for commercials and maybe a newscast or two network programming is cheaper than local programming so that's what station managers choose don't kid yourself you'd make the same choice so would i the results are still far from ideal In the old days, and by that I mean the 1960s and 1970s, at least the early 1970s, Columbus had three big radio stations. WTVN had music and news. WCOL had top 40 music and news. WBNS had music and news. If you didn't like those, you could choose from the smaller stations. WMNI, country music and news. WRFD, farm programming and news. WOSU, classical music on FM, talk and news on AM. WVKO, rhythm and blues music and news. You may have noticed the word news in there a lot. Every station had a news department. And those news departments competed to cover local stories. Today, only one station in town has anything resembling a fully staffed news department. The other stations, if they're owned by Clear Channel, receive a news feed from the Clear Channel newsroom. Independent stations employ maybe one or two overworked and underpaid people who do the best they can with the limited resources made available to them. I might wish that stations could do better, but they can't. Listenership is down... That means advertising rates are down. The general state of the economy certainly isn't helping. So the stations determine that they must cut costs. That leads to lower listenership. And that means advertising rates go even lower, which further reduces the budget for local programming. Now well, you can see where that's going. Possibly hurting the most are local independent stations, WCBE, for example, the station owned but not exactly funded by the Columbus Board of Education. WOSU stations, owned but barely funded by The Ohio State University. Independent stations such as WWCD, also known as CD101, or WJZA, simulcasting jazz on two low-power FM signals. Those stations do try to provide local content but they are probably just barely hanging on because of the costs of operating a radio station. And that leads to the economics of podcasting. Until just a few years ago, the business model for creating content and making it available in print or over the air, worldwide or even just locally, was far beyond most organizations and nearly all individuals. Desktop computers, audio programs, desktop publishing, the Internet, and particularly the Web, have changed that equation dramatically. Podcasters don't have to pay for engineers, transmitters, or studio links. They don't have to pay for a news team, or studios, or audio consoles. A near-broadcast-quality podcast can be created with free, open-source software on a $500 computer and distributed worldwide for less than $100 per year. Even if you're on welfare, you might be able to produce a program. Podcasters might want to be paid better for their expertise and for the time it takes them to research, write, and record their programs, but the simple fact is this. Most of us would probably be willing to do what we do, whether anybody pays us or not. When WTVN decided to cancel its Sunday morning local programming, I could have just simply moved on. Instead, I opted to turn Technology Corner into Techbiter Worldwide, and I can assure you that I am in absolutely no danger of experiencing any income tax increase as the result of contributions to the Techbiter Kitty. But Donations do pay the operating costs every year, and a little more. So, I'll be looking forward to episode number 200. That should happen around the middle of 2010. And I'll make a note to give you a more timely update then. In nerdly news, remember PC Expo? That's the show once known for commandeering every available taxi in New York City. The show hit a zenith in about 1999 or 2000. After that came the Internet crash, the terrorist attacks of 2001, and increasingly difficult and expensive air travel. PC Expo once filled nearly the entire Javits Convention Center on 11th Avenue, and that is an enormous building, several blocks long, a full block wide. The show passed out of existence following the 2003 show. Macworld, on the other side, has continued. It's a smaller show, but now it is threatened as Adobe announces it will not be part of the 2009 show, and even Apple says it won't be there in 2010. Trade shows are expensive. When I visit New York City, I do it on my own. I stay at a bed and breakfast, usually in Harlem. My daily room rate is rarely more than $100. I shop for the best airline rate, even if that means using the airport on Long Island and taking the train into town. I use the subway. I eat at neighborhood restaurants, whose names you wouldn't recognize. Even so, it's an expensive week. If you're attending a show like this on your company's dime... You might decide to fly business class, stay at a $300 a night hotel, pay a couple hundred bucks a day for restaurant meals, and maybe $50 to $100 on taxis and other transportation in the city. Well, companies are cutting back. Big surprise. So attendance is down. For exhibitors, the costs are even worse. You might drop hundreds of thousands of dollars on the exhibit space by itself. And then there's construction, construction, and other fees, and of course you might send dozens, or in the case of a really large company, perhaps hundreds of people to the show. So it's no surprise that the trade show is an endangered species. A year ago, Apple CEO Steve Jobs showed the MacBook Air at Macworld in San Francisco. Jobs and Apple will be there next month, and will probably put forth some new and amazing gadgets. But that's the end of the road. In 2009, Jobs won't even be delivering the keynote address. That's the first time since 1998. And in 2010, Apple will not have a corporate presence at the show. Taking Jobs' place for the keynote address in 2009 is Phil Schiller, Apple's Senior Vice President of Worldwide Marketing. It's just a business decision, Apple said in a news release. Attendance is down, and Apple can already reach out to 100 million people through its various retail stores and its website. Trade shows are no longer as important as they once were for communicating with customers. That's what Apple said in a news release. The decision raised some new questions about Jobs' health. He was treated for pancreatic cancer four years ago, and this week Apple's stock fell about 2.5%. But sometimes a business decision is really just a business decision. By participating in Macworld, Apple was forced into making some sort of dramatic announcement every January, whether it had anything really exciting to highlight or not. Show organizers say that Macworld will continue with or without Apple, but the future is certainly murky. When the company whose products you're celebrating pulls out of the event, questions about long-term viability are certain to follow. Until three years ago, the show was a twice-per-year event, but then Apple pulled out of Macworld East in 2003, and that show ceased operating after 2005. So given that history, Macworld developers have until oh about 2012 to find a way to continue without Apple. And Adobe is one of the largest Mac software developers, but the company announced this week it will not be attending the 2009 Macworld. Adobe will still have a presence, even though it won't have a booth at the show. A booth is a bit of an understatement when it comes to describing a company's presence at a trade show like this. The booth might be 40 by 60 feet. It might be 50 by 100 feet. And it may have a stage or a theater. The booth could have a second floor. It might have private meeting rooms. The cost to construct this booth might be a quarter of a million dollars. It might be a million dollars. In other words, this is not the kind of booth you find at the annual Home and Garden show. So when Macworld opens on January 5th, Adobe won't be there, even though the company released recently a massive upgrade to its Creative Suite line with Adobe CS4. Adobe says the Mac community is important to the company, and that Adobe will continue its support for the platform. Although most graphics professionals use Macs, the Windows-based market is far larger, and Adobe is probably looking there for growth. Smashing Pumpkins is not something that you do around Halloween. Smashing Pumpkins is a rock band. Now they say they'll be no longer releasing any CDs. Instead, they plan to rely entirely on iTunes for distribution. This decision might have had more impact if the band had much of a following these days. Still, it's good to see that more artists do realize that physical products are not the future. For many, they're not the present, or even the recent past. Smashing Pumpkins took a little break in 2000. The band released nothing for seven years, and that Rip Van Winkle act didn't really help their popularity when they released zeitgeist in 2007 the overall response was what who guitarist and vocalist billy corgan says there is no longer a point to making cds instead he says the band will release singles because people put the single on their ipod they drag over the two singles and skip the rest So, instead of killing themselves to do albums, Smashing Pumpkins will concentrate on singles. Says Corgan, when Bruce Springsteen puts out a new album, I pay attention. When we do something, it should be taken seriously. And seriously, that's it for today and for this year. Thanks for listening. This has been Tech Byter Worldwide for the week of December 21st, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. I'll be back in 2009, January 4th. Thanks. See you then. Bye-bye.